0: This is ASEN, the Association for the Study of Ethnicity and Nationalism. To find out more, visit ASON.ac.uk. Uh, okay, so I'm going to I'm just going to talk with, with some slides about the referendum, what's nationalism got to do with it. Uh, uh, I have to stand here in order to make the thing go, so do excuse me for. I'll, I'll come around in. Okay. Okay. Um, the, the important thing to say, of course, is that there is a backstory to this, and, and I'll go through it very quickly. Um, you trying to get me on the scanner. <laughs> um, if I move around, it's a problem. Um, okay, the backstory. This is a very quick history bit. Uh, I'm not a historian, then, real to tell. Uh, How how did, how did Scotland and England come to be in the position they are in, Uh, and and why was indeed there was a Scottish Scottish referendum? Uh, The construction of the United Kingdom, of course, goes back to 1707, and the Treaty of Union between England and Scotland, which was a marriage of convenience, a marriage de raison, Um, that is, we won't go into the, uh, the politics of the 18th century, but essentially the uh, that the, the issue of Scotland and England joining to form Great Britain prior to, in 1800-1801, the incorporation of Ireland into uh, the, what became the United Kingdom, and of course Wales, by then, was governed really from England. Uh, so the, the United Kingdom is a bit of a curious state, uh, more than curious, very odd. obvious, someone coming in. Um, uh, so. Uh, That that is why I call it a mariage de raison, uh, now, how was it a mariage de raison? Well, clearly both both parties to this union uh, of Scotland and England uh, got different things out of it. For for Scotland, the union, which if there had been a referendum in 1707, uh, would have been rejected. Absolutely no problem with that. But this was not, this was pre-democracy. Uh, the people did not have a say. There was a parliament in Scotland, as there was in England, it was dominated by landed aristocracy. So this was not democracy. Uh, nevertheless, the Union gave, gave Scotland access to English markets. That what was brought. Uh, and, and for England, it solved the problem, historic problem of the Scottish-French alliance. So the, this was a mariage de Rizzo. Um, they, in addition to that, although there was a single legislature, at Westminster, Scotland retained the institutions of civil society, particularly relating to what we refer to, slightly tongue-in-cheek, as the Holy Trinity of law, religion, and education. So Scotland was always different in terms of its governance with a small G. Governance with a capital G, of course, was was done from Westminster, but the day-to-day running of Scotland was done from within Scotland with regard to separate systems of law and education, and indeed religion, when that much. So, Scott Scots uh, developed uh, a dual identity, um, Scottish nationality, if you like, their nation-ness. Uh, they saw themselves as Scottish, you can't be sure, because there were no opinion polls or surveys of the sorts we do today, uh, but, but certainly um, that, that is a fair estimate. Uh, as well, of course, as, as formal British citizenship. So there was this, the, there was this uh, uh, nationality citizenship. Nationality is not a good word in English, is it? Because it's often treated as a as a as a, as a synonym for citizenship. And when you find a hotel register and it says nationality, and for people like us, we go, well, we'll you right back. Scottish. Uh, but they really mean citizenship. i mean, a Scotsman. So. Yeah, essentially the, the, this is this is the backstory about what changed how come this didn't hold uh, in recent years well, a number of things with democracy. the uk of course became a centralized and a unitary state. Uh, curiosi- curiously, the rise of democracy and universal suffrage helped to undermine the British state. like an argument for 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 authoritarian rule, but no it, it, it is a reflection of what was happening. and uh, today of course England, represents 85% of the UK population. So, uh, Scotland was always likely, theoretically, to get a government elected by England. That was just in the nature of the demographic balance in these islands. Um, uh, of course, the, the one of the reasons for joining United Kingdom in the first place was was the, 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 the British Empire, which, of course, the son allegedly never said. Uh, and with the decline of imperial power from the middle Certainly, of the 20th century, the part of the mariage de raison really fell apart. Uh, in a sense, what was the point? Uh, that's far too crude to say that, but but it's an important aspect uh, in all of this. Remember also that Scotland had administrative devolution; that is, it was governed by civil servants answerable to Westminster and to the British state, um, a, but not political devolution. That is, there were, there were there were departments of government run from uh, Edinburgh, uh, in the form of what became, from the late 19th century, the Scottish office, uh, St Andrew's House, uh, but this was administrative devolution, so the, to say that devolution only happens in 1999 is, is an era. Scotland was always devolved, but it was not, did not have answerable democracy, it was not political devolution, it was administrative devolution. Uh, and, and so therefore the, 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 the future, the 21st century future, is rests on, on that. From the 1950s, I'll show you this very quickly, uh, there was a growing electoral divergence between Scotland and England, uh, which in a sense is both a reflection of, of the instability of the British state uh, with regard to democracy, but also uh, uh, its cause, it's, a, its both cause and effect. Um, from the 1970s, the discovery of North Sea oil uh, injects uh, a, a very important and dynamic element into the debate about Scottish autonomy and Scottish independence, the potential of Scottish independence, because... Well, if Scotland had joined the Union because there was an economic rationale for it, then clearly the discovery of oil in the North Sea undermined that rationale, theoretically speaking. Um, and, and indeed, the, the Scottish National Party, which had been founded really in the 1920s and 30s, a very small, peripheral party, um, suddenly came to great prominence on, not simply, but on the back of slogans like It's Scotland's Oil. Uh, which, of course, in legal terms it wasn't, but politically speaking, that was certainly the case. So, in the 1980s, uh, the, 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 the emergence in, 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 in political discourse of the democratic deficit that is, no matter how Scotland voted at all, the Scottish Government potentially uh, elected by, by England, the biggest party in the Union, um, was an important element. it defined, the democratic deficit defined Scottish politics uh, in, in a very important way. Um, and and finally, of course, in the 1990s, so it's all very recent history, uh, the Conservatives in Scotland were destroyed, uh, uh, with no seats at all. And the joke, of course, is that there are more giant pandas in, in, in Scotland, and there are conservative names, fact, um, there are two pandas and one conservative MP. Uh, uh, and the conservatives are wiped out. In other words, that app was itself a very important cause and effect of, of, of uh, the Scottish question, I suppose. So those things have changed. Now, that's a kind of guide, a background guide to what may be uh, altered. Let me just put some flesh on those bones. Now, uh, share the vote in UK general elections in Scotland since 45, That's all of them, all the way through 2010, next year's, will add to that, but who knows. Uh, And and you can see that that this, as they say in football terms, a game of two halves. There is a split uh, from from pre and post-1974. Pre-74, from 1945 to 1974, really two dominant parties, the Conservative and Labour Party. um, And and the other parties, the SAP and and the the, the, uh, Liberal Democrats, uh, are really getting less than about 5% of the, of the vote. Uh, and then the whole thing transforms itself from the 19th century, so it, it is very much a game of two halves. Uh, and so what you get, of course, is the emergence of a divergence between Scotland and England in political terms. Uh, the extent to which it's a slightly, not a share of the vote, but it's it's, it's comparing uh, and measuring, if you like, Labour's relative advantage in Scotland, the Conservative disadvantage in Scotland, and you follow the green line, you see that the, the 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 gap between England and Scotland um, has never been greater than it is now. Um, people said, "Well, it's Thatcher. Well, if it was just Thatcher, then it would have gone back." But it hasn't. Uh, and uh, the measure of the of the separation of Scotland and England in terms of purely UK elections, purely UK elections, share um, shared vote for the two main parties, Labour and Conservative in Scotland and in England. Uh, it's bigger, the divergences, and that's that, that's, that's uh, what's driving a lot of this. Um, and, and of course, as a, as a reflection of that, the rise of the Scottish National Party from, and here I'm, I'm simply calculating the the share of the vote in seats, they, they fought, they didn't fight all seats in the early years, from 45 through to about 64, but they were getting respectable, double figures, 12, 14 percent, and then shooting up in 97 to 30 percent, Shooting back there again, and then steady progress uh, to, um, to, and of course, by 1999, two two elections. Think about the UK general elections and also the Scottish parliamentary elections, which I picked out, is of the vote in red, which we see now that uh, the the Scottish National Party provides the Scottish Government on the basis of 45% of the vote. Of course, that's a proportional representation, which is a remarkable achievement in a multi-party system. Right, so that's the background. That's the political electoral background to to what I'm going to talk about, um, which is the, the 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 why there was a referendum and indeed how we make sense of the outcome. Now, there is a there is an issue here, uh, which which befuddles everything, which is the issue of categories. Uh, we, we've we've um, grown used to there being something called nationalism and there's also something called unionism. And uh, the reflection in the referendum appears to be that these are two opposing armies and that these are two ideologies that are are, are fundamentally opposites, antitheses of each other. Well, as the historian Colin Kidd has said, it is a category error uh, in in substantive terms, at least historically, in his book Union and Unionisms, uh, it's a category error to think of Unionism and Nationalism as opposites. Uh, Rather, he says, the relationship of unionism and nationalism is very complicated and defies easy parsing. And he goes on, for much of modern political history there was an ill-defined and neglected middle ground where moderate unionism and moderate nationalism were in surprisingly close proximity. So beware of the category error here, um, which is, you know, says the category error is then written large in uh, the, the referendum itself, which is, a binary divide between yes and no, and so on. But it's much more subtle than that, and I think Kid is correct in his in his his uh, qualifying statement about the category. So, what do we get? Uh, I'm, going to go, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to kind of do the, and I'll do some analysis and, and, and look at the results. What do we get? Here is, as far as we can tell, um, the division of party support in terms of how people voted in the 2011 Scottish election, between those who voted yes and those who voted no in the referendum, 70% of the yes vote was made up of people who had voted for the Scottish National Party in 2011. I'm not saying that 70% of the SNP vote voted yes. That's another question altogether. But 70% of the yes, the cake, if you like, was made up of seven to ten SNP voters who had voted uh, for SNP in 2011 voting yes. So clearly, a, a, the largest chunk of the cake. But a quarter, roughly, uh, of the yes vote was made up of people who had voted Labour in 2011. Um, less surprisingly, perhaps, six percent of the yes vote was made up of people who had voted Liberal Democrat and one percent. Uh, of of people who had voted, all uh, of, of, of people who voted yes had actually voted the consent point. Very small, obviously. But there's a cake. It's overwhelmingly an SNP cake, but it but the yes campaign should not be confused with the SNP vote. Well, it's a big chunk. Compare that with the other cake, where no party has an overall majority. The no vote was made up of under half, forty-two percent of the no-vote was made up of people who had voted Labour in 2011. Uh, 29% of the no-vote had voted Conservative in 2011. Um, 16% had voted uh, Liberal Democrat, and, surprisingly, perhaps, 14% of people who had voted SNP voted no. Uh, No, no, I don't mean that, I mean the opposite way around. I mean that 40% of the no-vote had voted SNP in 2011. You may think, well, that's a bit bizarre. How did that come about? I'll I'll, I'll explain that. But there's the the cakes, uh, and and that helps to define the campaigns, the yes-no campaign, uh, in in quite a interesting way. Okay, now, let's take a step back and look at constitutional preferences. Over the long duration, from 1990, that is, asking a straightforward question. Um, in terms of people's constitutional preferences, are they in favour of independence, are they in favour of devolution, that is, a Scottish parliament within the United Kingdom with control over domestic affairs, Uh, or are they in favour of no parliament of any sort whatsoever, except the one in London? And when you do that, you find that the surprising thing is why there should have been a referendum at all. (laughs) Because it's pretty clear that, that half of people, at least, between 50 and 60% of people, when asked that question, said they preferred revolution. About 30%, third, on a good day, um, said they preferred independence, and about 10% from less said they wanted no parliament at all. So that's the traditional question, the constitutional preferences. So, how on earth, you might ask, did, did uh, the Yes SO vote even get 45%? If only thirty per cent of them wanted uh, in, this, in these surveys, which are consistent cross sectional surveys since nineteen ninety-nine, all the way through to twenty fourteen. How, how did that come about? The answer is that is, that is a constraining question. Um, just as asking people whether they were in favour of women in Venice or not was a constraining question. So this led um Scottish Social Attitudes Survey and, and the Scottish Centre for Social Research. Uh, of which we're part, uh, to ask a much more subtle question. Which of the statements, we ask people, comes closest to your view about who should make government decisions for Scotland? It doesn't mention the I-word, it doesn't mention independence. Um, It doesn't even mention devolution, but asking the question in a different way is very revealing. So, uh, the first option, the Scottish Parliament should make all decisions for Scotland, which is clearly independence, but don't mention the I-word. Uh, the first option, that the UK government should make decisions about defence and foreign affairs and the Scottish Parliament should decide everything else. This has come to be known as Devolution Max. That is, the Scottish Parliament should decide everything apart from defence and foreign affairs. Devolution. Uh, Thirdly, what we have at at the moment, the status quo, the UK government should make decisions about taxes, benefits and defence and foreign affairs and the Scottish Parliament should decide the rest, which is what we have. That is the status quo. And finally, the back to the future people, the UK government should make all decisions for Scotland, which was the status quo after 1999. Now, that's, that's a more subtle way of asking the question, particularly as it separates out uh, what is meant by devolution, uh, because the effect of asking those in favour of the evolution on the previous slide break down into two, two options. Those in favor of devolution, there are devolutionists in favor of devolution acts, right? and there are devolutionists purely in favor of the status quo. Right? So what do you get if you do that? We've asked this question on five separate occasions each year from 2010, you get this. It's interesting and important to see these as blocks uh, the colours represent each year, from 2010 to 2014, and the block, cross-section, independence, I called it here independence, but the Scottish Parliament should make all decisions, averages out at about 35%. So 35%, uh, which is the largest proportion of people, are in favour of the Scottish Parliament making all decisions. Call it independence, if you will. Devolution Max, that is, the Scottish Parliament decides everything apart from foreign affairs and events. is supported, across those five years, by around 30-31%. So, 35%, 31%. The status quo... The status quo is supported by 22-23%. Right? Which is, if you like, what the first slide was showing. And about, actually, 7-8%, we don't want any devolution at all. And that is the spectrum of constitutional preferences in Scotland rather than a simpler one, which is independence, devolution, or no parliament. Now, if you then think of that three, that tripartite system, and this four part, four system, for constitutional preferences, you've then got the greatest simplicity of all of simply having either in favour of independence, or not. Yes, no. To the binary divide, which was Created, foisted, if you like, for political reasons. Now, what is interesting about this is that, quite apart from asking people which of those options I showed you they prefer, you also get people to specify what their second choice might be. Uh, Which is the interesting one if one then thinks of what a question might be in a referendum. Um, Because, Here's the choices. This is the two thousand and fourteen figures, which were which were collected about sort of March April May of of this year. Forty two percent said that their first choice was independence, but their second choice, two thirds, uh, I mean three quarters, seventy seven percent, are in favour of devolution. Rights. So if you are pro independence, your second choice, not unreasonably, is the next best option, which is devolution. The devolution max people, of whom, in the survey of 2014, are 30 percent, break down, so a majority is in favor of purely the status quo, but nearly 30 percent, 28 percent, are in favor of independence. Uh, Of the status quoers, if you like, uh, three-quarters of those people are in favor of the devolution max. Uh, And then you're into the no devolution people at all, who are in favor, grudgingly, of the status quo. In other words, If you were looking at everyone's second choice as opposed to their first choices, which is uh, on the horizontal as opposed to the diagonal uh, to the vertical, 55% of people give devolution max as their second choice. In other words, if the referendum had been about trying to assess, to get at people's preferences, real preferences, it would have been a multi-option referendum, It would have been a multi-option referendum. Um, and to be fair, it would be a four-option referendum: mm-hmm. independence, delusion yes, status quo, no devolution. No reason to rule out no devolution. Perfectly, perfectly respectable, if a minority position of, of less than one in ten. But that is—that was at least for the unionist party—politically very dangerous, because, and indeed, it was the preference of the Scottish government to have a multi-option referendum and a multiple-choice multi-option referendum, what's your first choice, what's your second choice, because it would have settled down consensually around evolution max. That's clear, very clear. Um, if, if, those, if those figures I showed you before, about 35% favor of independence, 30% favor of evolution max, uh, but coalescing around evolution max as a first or second choice, then 77% of people, actually, would have voted for evolution max on the basis of these. Why was that a problem for the Unionist parties? Because they saw it, for what it was, a stepping stone to full independence eventually. They were they were determined to have the referendum as a simple yes-no to see off the option in the, in, the, in the expectation, the hope, that it would destroy support for devolution, support for independence uh, for the foreseeable future. So it was a political decision. And remember that the Constitution is the property of the UK government, not the property of the Scottish government. Scottish. But that there was something called the Edinburgh Agreement, whereby there was a kind of face off uh, negotiated compromise, uh, uh, even yeah. although the Scottish, Scottish government, run by the SNP, were in favour of having a multi-official referendum. If there had been a multi-official referendum, it was very clear that it was going to focus upon the abortion. On the basis of that going up one step at a time is easier to do. Got two steps to full independence, that's hard. Uh, so, the kind of stepwise progression, if you like, um, was ruled out. Now, there's the politics of it. So, there's, there's something quite artificial about yes or no. Because if you are a no-voter... No, voter, no if, you are a, if you are a devolution max person, or even a devolution person, a status quo person, uh, how do you vote yes or no? Because on the one hand, you don't want independence, so you're a no-voter. On the other hand, you don't want what is on offer, which is the status quo. So the really interesting people were the devolution max people. Because they were then torn, and indeed the survey showed very clearly, that the greatest, the, the highest proportion of undecided voters were among the devolution max people. The undecideds were not people who thought, oh, I don't give a damn. These were people who said, well, oh, really, I'm pooled one hand, I want a much more powerful parliament with control over taxation, welfare, and all the rest of it, particularly in the context of a neoliberal government in Westminster. Uh, but yet, yeah, I don't want what is, what is treated as independent. So it really comes down to a debate between, if you like, two options of independence-like and devolution-like. Where the, the fulcrum of Scottish public opinion says, independence-like, devolution-like. The, 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 that is where it is at. That's where the point of gravity sits in twenty fourteen. Right, uh, right. Now, uh, is there a role then for national identity? I mean, you know, I spent lot my my life studying national identity, so it's important to take it on board. Uh, what is the relationship? How do we explain? I'm moving on to explaining the the outcome. of of yes, no. What is it that drove people to vote yes or no? Is it national identity? Well, I can show you a very simple statistic table. Uh, Here, uh, I have coloured the yes in blue and the the, uh, the no vote in red. And you see that there is certainly a relationship between national identity and voting yes or no. Um, at At the Scottish, not British end, um, the, the yeses vastly outnumber the noes. 80% of people who describe their national identity as Scottish and not British, maybe that's not a great surprise, uh, voted yes, and just over 10% voted no. At the other end, of the, the Brits, if you like, that is, and they're relatively few numbers, so I've added together the people who said they were British more than Scottish, or British not Scottish. You have the mirror image the vast majority of them, over 80%, uh, voted no. So clearly, your national identity, how you construe your national identity as being Scottish, British, and what kind of mix, uh, matters. It matters. Um, And then the people in the middle, people who say they are more Scottish than British, were were much more likely to be yes voters and no voters. And, And similarly, again, a bit of a mirror image, Those who said they were equally Scottish and British um, were more likely to be no-voters than to be yes-voters. So national identity appears to be a significant factor in whether people voted yes or no. But it is by no means the only thing. And I want to look at some of the complicated features as well, because this referendum was not simply about do you feel Scottish and do you feel British, although much of the media we never understand these things properly um, tried to uh, assume that people who thought of themselves as Scottish voted yes, people who thought of themselves as British voted no, well, it's just not as simple as that. But but it's clearly a relationship with national identity. Now, I'm going to of Oh, that's interesting, never mind. Uh, That wasn't supposed to come up like that, but, but we'll do it this way. There is an issue about, which lies behind the issue of of identity, national identity, and whether you are pro-independence. That is, has there been, over time, and the legend has fallen off the bottom, but never right, mind, uh, has there been, over the last decade, an increasing proportion of people, A, who say they are Scottish, not British, has there been an increasing proportion of people who are in favour of independence, and thirdly, um, this is where you've got to concentrate, The people who said they were Scottish, not British, have more of them now, in 2014, uh, are more of them in favour of independence than they were a decade ago. Now, the reason I wanted these from shooting in separately, and it's not happened, but we won't worry about that. Um, You'll just have to kind of concentrate very hard. Look at the blue bars. If you just look at the blue bars, you see that, actually, in the recent period of 2014, relatively few people, yeah, relatively few people describe themselves as Scottish, not British. Indeed, if we would trace our way back through the blue columns, it's back in the early uh, first decade of the century where these figures are highest. In 2000, 2001, 2002, a higher proportion of people in Scotland said they were Scottish, not British, and if anything it falls away. Which makes it even more curious that there is an SNP government first in 2007 and then again in 2011. But, you know, that's, it's a complicated issue. Okay, so that's the blue one. There's no, there's no real relationship, and indeed it's almost incorrect. That saying you're Scottish, not British, was more likely to, 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 to happen in the early years of the Scottish Parliament than in its later Secondly, support for independence is represented by the red columns, and again you have this lack of a trend. It's trendless fluctuation really, whereby there's a big leap here in 2005 and then it falls away and then it comes back up again in 2014. You cannot say that support for independence over time has shot up any more than you could say that saying you're Scottish, not British, has shot up. What about the third question I raised, which is represented by the green bars, the percentage of those who say they're Scottish, not British, who are in favour of independence? Of course, it could be that all depends on this about a third of people in Scotland who say who deny that they're British, who say they're Scottish not British, that a much higher proportion of those people now support independence. It's a perfectly a reasonable hypothesis, is it not? Well actually, it's not born out. Um, the, because the higher the, the higher the bar, the more likely it is to happen. And there is no great trend. There are two outstanding figures, but they're nearly 60%, 57% and, 60, and, and 60%. and sixty That is in 2005 and five and two thousand fourteen. in which, which, which people's identity was much more concentrated into support for independence. But behind all that, of course, uh, one has to conclude that the relationship between national identity and your constitutional preferences is not straightforward. Right. Right. OK. So that if we look over time, and do it in a different way, 2011 to 2014, um, four years. Uh, The relationship, 60%, is the one I showed you before. All people who said they were Scottish not British supported independence, but that means 40% of these people did not. 40%. Substantial minority. Of people who said they were more Scottish than British, this had fallen to 43%, but it was still the largest figure. And then it kind of tails off, and then there's this curiosity of people who are saying they're British, not Scottish, 80 percent are in favour of independence. But well, these are people who were not born in Scotland, which is why they felt they could not claim to be Scottish, hence they describe themselves as British, not Scottish. But, but National identity, then concluding is complicated. Now let's look at the result. It was a remarkable phenomenon, the referendum. Unlike the certainty any political event in these islands, Certainly it's in the Why? Because ninety-seven percent of the electorate have registered to vote. Ninety-seven, nearly every. And of course, what Alex Hammond won, having lost the multi option referendum, was that young people over the age of sixteen had the right to vote. And that's not going to go away. Young people have got used to voting. You know, they'll vote they'll sixteen-year-olds will want to vote. Why not? They can do everything else. Um, well, 97%, actually, everyone on the electoral register registered to vote referendum. Huge uh, interest. Um, indeed, that was also reflected in the, in the turnout of eighty-four point six, eighty-five percent the highest turnout in the UK since 1950. Actually, to twenty-five 95.5, it's just reached that. So any, any, any referendum or election since the war, uh, a higher percent, because we're getting 60-65%. Uh, all all people now voting in UK general elections, and this is 85%. It's huge, huge. So, huge interest. Uh, Of course, the result, no 55.3, yes 44.7. 55, 45, no yes. Um, The strongest, no votes. In, in territorial terms, in the borders with England, of 67%, because these were counted in terms of local government areas. Orkney and Shetland figure out there, 67%, to 64%, and also in the western borders, countries and Galilee. So there's a territorial, the further away you are from the central belt of Scotland, the more likely you are to vote in mm-hmm. um, territorially. The strongest yes voters, this gives a great shock to people, particularly the Labour Party. Uh, that two of the four major cities voted yes, Dundee, 57 percent, Glasgow, 53 percent. Because citizens were not meant to vote, yes, but they did, in spite of the labour administration. So, in, in many working class areas in Scotland, in Dundee, Western Western Bartonshire, Glasgow and Lanarkshire, there was a majority for yes. So there was all sorts of complications uh, in, in this, in territorial terms. In terms of who voted, who were the, who were people who were most likely to vote no, the over 65s. 73% of the over 65s voted no, according to polls. Almost all the Tories voted no, no surprise there, there are many of those, there are even fewer Liberal Democrats, but the 77% of them voted no Labour, 69% voted no. Uh, Those people living in Scotland, born elsewhere in the UK, voted no. Call them English if you like. Seven, eight, eight, three quarters. Not that they made a difference. There are not enough of them to swing the tide. Um, What about yes voters? Who are they? Yes voters tended to be younger people. Actually, not the very young. It's a mistake. People just jumped to conclusions. Actually, it was not the 16 to 24 year olds who are most likely to vote yes, it was the 25- to 34-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Actually, the middle range of age groups tended to tended to vote yes, 59%, uh, no surprise. SNP supporters, 80%. Um, these, are, these are taken from two polls with large ends, Ashcroft's poll in 2000, of 2,000 cases and UGov's of 2,600. Um, now, how do you explain the vote? There is a gender issue. Women were more likely than men to vote no. Um, it was closer than, <clears throat> than many people thought it was going to be. On, on Ashcroft's poll, 47% of men voted vote, vote, uh, vote, voted um, uh, yes, and 44% of women. Though you got poll gives a fifty-one to 42? More men were more likely than women to vote yes. Age, which we've touched upon, over sixty five school who voted no, but as I said, it's the twenty-five to thirty-four year olds, I'll come back to that in a minute. The sixteen to twenty four year olds actually, the youngest age sixteen to twenty four year olds actually marginally voted yes, but only by fifty one to forty nine. If the sixty five pluses retired people had voted the same way as the fifty five to sixty four year olds, then the result would have been closer, but we would still have been a no of fifty one. 49. So age has an effect, social class has an effect, but it's not as great as people sometimes think. Uh, these are purely in terms of advertising categories rather than uh, you know social scientific categories. But nevertheless, ABC1 people, middle class people, who are more, more less likely to vote yes than C2DE people, um, uh, 50%. But it's but it's much closer than perhaps many people. Uh, So let me just run through this very briefly. Um, Yes, no by vote, in terms of, uh, we've seen this already, conservatives are overwhelmingly no. These are people who voted Tory in 2011. Um, uh, Labor, interestingly, Mm -hmm. were pulled. Um, Just over 60% of labor voters voted no, but uh, almost 30% of them voted yes. So major party political split occurs in the Labour Party. The SNP, overwhelmingly yes, but a, 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 a nearly 20% voting no. Come back to that. Uh, Liberal Democrats, <laughs> much much more like Labour, uh, a majority, majority voting no. Liberal Democrats are very small in Scotland, well, even very small in England. There uh, but there is clearly a part of political effect with the Tories, the most strong role voters, and the SNP, the strongest yes voters. By um, age group, I showed you, but I just want to reinforce this point that the 65 pluses are the, are the resolutely no people. 70% of the 65 pluses voted no, which is quite unlike the next age group, 55 to 64. Okay? You see that about 40% of 55 to 64 is voted yes, but it's virtually half of that, just over 20% of the 65 pluses who voted yes. So clearly, there is an age effect, a quite stark quality, but it's not straightforward because if you look at the, you look at the bars where the blue bits uh, are larger than the red bits, they occur in the middle. 25 to 34 year olds, yes. 35 to 44 year olds, yes. And even the 45 to 54 year olds. So there is an age effect, but it is not the one that people expected or indeed presumed had happened. If you take the 16 to 24 year olds, then it's a much uh, more even split of 51 to 49. Um, yeah, there is a yes, but not as great a yes as there are in the, in the, and could just be the cohort, right? that is people who are politically socialized in the, in the middle age ranges. So it's not just young did this, young said yes and the old said no. Just, as you see, it's just not that simple. Um, okay, oops, um, let me just go back. Yeah. And, and, and class, because on the one hand, in terms of the territory, the territoriality of the vote, it appears that working class areas voted yes, Glasgow, Dundee, Lanarkshire, uh, and therefore maybe this was a class because these are working class areas. Actually it's not quite as simple as that, because if we look, yes of course the AB voted no. um, uh, six, roughly 60, 60% and just under 40% voted yes, and just over 60% voted no. The C1s, um, much closer. The C2s, you know, uh, clerical workers have been workers and so on voted yes. Um, but the DEs, many workers, semi-routine and routine as they call now in NSEC, NSEC A voted no. So there's some very curious territorial vis-a-vis class and all this which we've just begun, really, to make sense of. Okay, why did people vote yes? What reasons did they give? The, the dominant reason for people voting yes was this one. The principle that all decisions about Scotland should be made in Scotland. So it's a kind of demos thing. It, it's, you know, decisions about Scotland are made in Scotland. Territoriality. It's demos, not it. Other reasons, Well they a little right behind. Val balance Scotland's future looks better as an independent country, Kind of 20%, and, and finally at the end of that independence would be no votorious. Well, 10% of people thought that. Oh, actually, no idea there. But essentially, vast majority, 7 out of 10, um, gave us a principal reason that all decisions should be made. And it's, a, it's a democratic, democratic decision. What about reasons for, votes? Wo- uh, and very little radiation, by the way, by generation, class on those areas. Reasons for voting, no. Well, was it not some kind of emotional attachment to the union? Well, not really. It had to do with the balance of risk, the calculus of risk. Uh, risk of independence were just to be too great. Risks of the currency, risks of the leaving the EU, a uh, joke. Uh, the risk of, of what happens to the economy, jobs and prices. Well, was pragmatic reasons were voting no. Nearly half of people who voted no said those are the reasons. Um, A far lower percentage of people said that they were strongly attached. They voted no because there was a strong attachment to the UK and its shared history, culture, and traditions. Just over a quarter. But the Tories were particularly susceptible to that kind of emotional appeal, but only the Tories. Um, But, in other words, there is something quite pragmatic and risk assessment, I suppose we would say, about reasons for voting no. Rather than there being a sort of we are British and proud of it and land of hope and no, wasn't it wasn't. Um, which which is interesting for any future. Now, no vote would be an extra force for Scotland. Twenty-five percent of the people said they would no because they expected. And the debate was working towards that in the last week. There was a one opinion poll which put the yes ahead, and the British state threw everything at the problem, including promises, vows, to to have uh, extra powers. Now, this issue of extra powers is, I suppose, and if it's not too simplistic a statement, is Scotland's equivalent of the Zinoviev letter, Zinoviev letter, which was a forgery. Um, and, and this is in many respects is a, is a forgery. The, the daily record, which is the biggest selling but declining uh, Scottish tabloid, the stable mate of the Daily Mail, um, carried, um, quite apart from free milk and milk. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm persuaded many people, but there you are. Um, it carried something called the vow that the three leaders of the Unionist parties, Cameron, Miliband, and Clegg. I see Clegg's name is kind of going all spotty. That probably tells you a lot about Clegg. Um, that the vow, made a vow that in the event that if people voted no in Scotland, then they made a vow, according to the Daily Record, to introduce further powers to the Scottish Parliament. Now, I call this Solomon Binding. Well, I just shows my age. Back in the 1970s, when um, Harold Wilson and his government were in power, they used to invoke this, this guy called Solomon Binding. It was Solomon and Binding, but it became known to the newspaper industry as Solomon Binding, the famous Solomon Binding. But um, anyway, here's, here's old salt and back again. The vow, what could be more promissory than a vow? Um, except, it was a fabrication. Um, recently, in the last two weeks, a spokesman from <laughs> right said there was no official document. It was something that the Daily Record mocked up. So, here we are, Daily Record, Scotland's champion, free milk, um, were putting this up on parchment so it looked awfully official, with three signatures, and it turned out to be no such thing. But just a kind of promissory note, the Daily Record being a a strong proponent of the no campaign. So, that's all right then, but if you were one of the 25% of people who voted no because you expected and you were told and you believed foolish person, uh, that there was a vow to have more powers, then I'd imagine you'd feel pretty disappointed. Let down even. Betrayed even. <laughs> uh, but um, but there you are, the vow that never was. So, here we have the yes, no, 55, 45, is at it. Did people think that the question then of Scottish independence is settled, done and dusted, gone for a generation? Well, ask people. People thought, 31% of people thought there wouldn't be another one in the next 5 years. Well, that's not very long. 17% that there wouldn't be one for the next 10 years, but that's nearly half of people. So, actually half of people in Scotland were expecting another one to come along within the decade. Uh, 24% thought there wouldn't be one for the next generation, and some souls thought it would forever, that was never hear again. Actually, uh, most of those people, um, only only Tories thought, or indeed hoped, that it would be off the agenda for much longer. But most people, nearly yeah, half, thought there was going to be uh, This was not the end of the story. This was before we knew anything about, you know, promises Levy, the EU, Brexit, and all the rest of it. And the whole thing, of course, is framed by and I owe this to the Financial Times, <laughs> uh, where the national interest is deemed to be. I like this cartoon because it portrays the national interest as the city of London. Uh, finance. Huh? Uh, what is interesting, but in, in terms of the cohesiveness of otherwise the British state, is that people, most people in England and in Scotland, no longer feel they have a priority, to identify themselves, according to this question, with people of the same class rather than the same nationality. They often say, the here's the figures, these are 2006 figures, and the been asked the English since. But if 68% of people in Scotland said that they identified who do you feel you're most in common with? People who are Scots, even if they belong to a different class. Okay. So if you're working class, you yourself as working class, then you identify with other non-working-class people who are Scottish. So, the net nationality is more powerful in class, in terms of the commonalities of identity. But actually, but not to the same extent, it's also true in England. It's also true in England. A majority of people in England identify with English people of a different class, rather than, you know, in this case, Uh, Scottish people of the same class. So the old argument that one used to get from the Labour Party in particular, that class is a more powerful form of identification than nation, this is no longer true. It was true until the 1970s in Scotland, um, but it has not been true for the last 30 years. And it's unlikely to be true, uh, I would think, in the next 30 years. Okay, so. So why should there is a question which I never answered and I'm going to try and answer now. Who do you trust to work in Scotland's long term interest? Who do you trust? Well, here is this is these are Conservative supporters, Labour supporters, Liberal Democrats and SNP supporters. Less than thirty percent of each of those Party supporters think the UK government works in Scotland's long-term interests. Even Tories, 30% of Tories, died in the wool. Unionists think that the UK government actually is the best institution to look after Scotland's long-term interests. Contrast that, especially among the Tories, with those who trust Scottish government, the equivalent UK government, Scottish government. All of these figures, including. Conservative supporters, over half, think, of course, that the Scottish Government is to be trusted to work in Scotland's long term interest. And further, it's not just a question of government, it's also a question of party. In every case, including the Tories, including Labour, including the Liberal Democrats, and also the SNP, but that's not a surprise here, trust the SNP more than any other party to look after Scotland's long term interest. Now, um, I raised the conundrum of, why should nearly 20% of people who voted SNP in 2011 um, uh, have voted no? Well, the answer is that if you believe that Scotland's long-term interests are best defended in, by having an SNP government in Edinburgh, then it is not a contradiction, it seems to me, to give your support to the SNP in an election, even although in a referendum, you vote no, Because that is, according to these figures, the best way of maintaining and defending Scotland's long-term interests. But it is really interesting, it seems to me, that it is not the UK government, even for Conservative voters, uh, it is not the UK government that they trust to look after Scotland's long-term interests. Actually, having an SNP government, SNP, Scottish Government, is, in people's assessment, the the, the the institutions in which they place the greatest trust look after Scotland's long-term interests. Maybe not, but that is how the politics is done. Right? So the Indigenous Institution of the Scottish Parliament, and indeed the Scottish National Party, uh, which is supported by less than half of the Scottish population, but in this regard, it is deemed to be the one party which supports Scotland most. So where do we go? Where do we go? Well, we've had a referendum. Nearly half of people in Scotland think there's going to be another one along soon. What are the conditions under which such a thing might happen? It is becoming clearer what those conditions might be. We have the Scottish independence referendum. Right? No. 55%. A UK election next year in 2015. Let us imagine, which is not unreasonable, who knows? I don't have a crystal ball. If the Conservatives were to win a majority or even a plurality in 2015, they have said, Cameron has said, that, that, that he promises a referendum on Brexit, on, on, on the UK, having a vote, uh, people in the UK having a referendum on, do you wish the UK to be part, to continue to be a member of the UK, Brexit, huh? So. Imagine if there is a Conservative government, imagine two, which is, uh, I think, much more critical, when the SNP is re-elected in 2016, right? and the Conservative Party um, brings in a Brexit referendum in 2017-2018, which, according to all the surveys, indicates that people in England will vote to leave and people in Scotland will vote to stay. Having been told in this uh, this referendum campaign that if people in Scotland voted yes, then that would mean that Scotland would would have to leave the European Union. Then along comes this proposal that the UK will leave the European Union, Brackets maybe Scotland will be the bit that's left over. Um, So it is possible in the context of a Brexit referendum in 2017, 2018, who knows, um, that there would be the conditions for another referendum, Scottish Independence Referendum 2, which says, do you agree that Scotland should be an independent country within the European Union? Right? So people's expectation that there will be another one along within the next decade, in the light of possible, and I stress that these are possible effects, maybe um, not unreasonable. It's not the pious wish and hope of, of people uh, to do that. So, we, that's where we might go. What I want to leave you with is an image. Of, this is not snow, <laughs> by the way. This is cloud. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and I want to leave you with a poem. It's not often sociologists get a chance to recite a poem, but here's a poem. This, this little quotation is taken from Hugh Macdonald's. It's Scotland poem. Scotland's small? Uh, which ends nothing but heather how marvellously descriptive and in context. So let me let me read you uh, let me read you this book. Scotland small, or multiform or infinite Scotland small, only as a patch of hillside, maybe a cliche corner, to a fool who cries Nothing but Heather where in September another sitting there and resting and gazing around sees not only the heather but layries with bright green leaves and leaves already turned scarlet, hiding ripe blueberries, and amongst the sage green leaves of the bog myrtle, the golden flowers of the tormental shine. And on the small bare places where the little black-faced sheep found grazing, milkworts blue as summer skies, and down in neglected peat hags not worked within living memory, spiking a moss in pastel shades of yellow, green and pink. Sundew and butterwort waiting with open with wide open sticky leaves for their tiny winged prey, and nodding hair vying uh, in their colour with the blue butterflies that poise themselves delicately upon them, and stunted robins with harsh brow leaves of glorious colour. Nothing but heather? How marvellously descriptive and incomplete. Thank you.